Inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. Today we are listening to another part of a recording that Zig called Thriving in Every Economy. This part of the recording focuses on the importance of our attitude. Let's turn up some Zig Ziggler. Now we do everything built on one very simple philosophy, namely that you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Now, please understand that is a philosophy. It is not a tactic. You don't do something for somebody else and then stand there. Now, what are you going to do for me? That's called manipulation. That's ugly. That is not motivation. Second bit of philosophy is this. If standard of living, and this is what a lot of people never have understood. If standard of living is your number one priority, quality of life almost never improves. But if quality of life is your number one priority in life, quality of life also rather substantially goes up. It almost always improves. Now, why do I think you can do it? Well, let's go back to 399 A.D. And uh, uh, when I speak of that long ago, I want to give you a paraphrase of a quote, which I think is so extraordinarily important. St. Augustine said this, Man travels hundreds of miles to gaze at the broad expanse of the ocean. He looks in awe at the heavens above. He stares in wonderment at the fields and the mountains and the rivers and the streams. And then he passes himself by without a thought. God's most amazing creation. You were designed for accomplishment. You're engineered for success. You're endowed with the seeds of greatness. When we understand that, then it changes our attitude about a lot of things. You already know and already have every quality that you need to be enormously successful and in, in, any, in any economy. And I will demonstrate that and show that as we move along. But you've got to recognize what you've got. You've got to claim what you've got. You've got to develop what you've got. That's the thing. You know, you can finish education. You can even, uh, you can finish school, I mean. You can even make it easy, but that's not true of education. You never finish it. And it's seldom as easy. It's ongoing. It is a forever thing that we must do all of our life. Now, what I want to do is I want to get you really excited about you and what your future is. I want to get you as excited as little Johnny was. Little Johnny was a pistol. He was a second grader. One Friday afternoon, teacher said, Now, kids, if any of you have an exciting weekend, I want you to tell us about it on Monday morning. Well, on Monday morning, little Johnny was seated there at his little desk, and the desk was anchored, but little Johnny wasn't. I mean, he was all over the place. I mean, <laughs> that kid was excited. And the teacher said, Johnny, looks like you had a good weekend. Yes, ma'am, sure did. What'd you do, Johnny? Me and my daddy went fishing. We caught 75 catfish. They all weighed 75 pounds. <laughs> now, son, you know, that's not true. He said, oh, yes, ma'am, it is. My dad is a great fisherman. I'm even better than uh, he is. We caught 75 catfish. They all weighed 75 pounds. Now, Johnny, if I were to tell you that on the way to school this morning, about two blocks from here, 
A 1,200-pound grizzly bear, 10 feet tall, reared up in front of me and was about to grab me and eat me up when out of nowhere comes a little old eight-pound yellow dog. He jumps up there, grabs that grizzly bear by the nose, throw him down, bounce him back and forth, broke his neck, kills him. Johnny, if I told you that, would you believe it? He said, oh, yes, ma'am. As a matter of fact, that's my dog. <laughs> That's what I want to do. I want to get you excited. But I want to get you more than excited. I want to get you informed so that you can do something about it. I'm not just going to be talking about positive thinking. I'm going to be talking about positive thinking. Now, <laughs> what on earth is positive thinking? Oh, shucks, it's a, a little creation that uh, somebody shared with me, and I thought it's so good, I decided I'd start saying it. Positive thinking is all of positive thinking with a game plan. You see, you got to plan to win. You got to prepare to win and you got to expect to win before it's going to happen. So that's what we want to really look at. And you know, William James, many years ago, he's the father of American psychology, said the most important discovery of our time is the discovery that we can alter our lives by altering our attitudes. And yes, we can change our attitude and they change Rapidly, I mean very, very rapidly. A number of years ago, my son and I were in a golf tournament out in Phoenix, Arizona. Weather was beautiful for the tournament. The day we headed home, it was anything but beautiful. It was raining cats and dogs and hailing. It was ugly. We got soaking wet trying to move our clubs from the car to the, uh, into the terminal to get them checked. There are about 17,000 people waiting there in the airport, give 10 or 12,000 or something like that. Uh, we got down to the uh, gate to check in, get our boarding pass, and the line was long. The gate agent, when I first saw him, was a fair-haired blonde. By the time we got to him, uh, he was a flaming redhead and his face was even redder than his hair because everybody had been dumping on him. I mean, everybody blaming him for the weather, blaming him for the economy, blaming him for the delay, blaming him for the fact that the computers were off, blaming him for everything. I mean, time I got to him, it looked like the cruise director for the Titanic. I mean, somebody had obviously licked all the red off of his candy. Maybe it had been a bad day. Maybe it had some M&Ms to melt in his hand or gotten a junk mail posted. I mean, something bad had happened in addition to all the garbage being dumped in his mind. Well, when I stepped to, to him, as is my custom, I said, well, how you doing? He said with great sarcasm, compared to who? I said, compared to the man or the person who does not have a job of any kind. Compared to that individual who's not privileged to work indoors where he can plan a future. Compared to that person who has freedom of worship and freedom of travel. Compared to that individual who has the finest health care and the most freedom of any country in the world. I said, how you doing? Now you're talking about a dramatic change. It was instantaneous and it was total. He said, I'm doing wonderfully well. And thank you for reminding me. He was going 180 degrees this away, and then in a matter of 30 seconds, he was going that away. He got so excited, he moved my son and me up to first class. I mean, there was a, there was a radical change in him. 
Now, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, uh, how many of you believe that had his boss come along about 10 minutes B.Z.? That's before Zig. Uh, when he was greeting everybody with a snarl, how many of you believe that his job would have been in jeopardy? Uh, at least a reprimand. Can I see your hands, please? How many of you believe that 10 minutes after Zig that he would have been really congratulated on a wonderful spirit and attitude that he had and said, son, I'm going to put your name on somebody to watch. How many of you believe that's highly possible? Can I see your hands, please? How many of you believe when he got home that if he's married with children, he was a better husband and a better father? Can I see your hands, please? All right. Now, question is this. How much did I teach him about being a better gate agent? Not one single thing. He already knew how the computers worked. He knew the schedule. He knew his job. He had been trained in all of those things. But without the right attitude, his future was in jeopardy. When he got home, what did I teach him about being a better husband, husband or better father? Not a thing. He already knew those things. But the reality is he was not using those things. And now perhaps... What I want to say is that our attitude makes a difference. When I was a youngster in Yazoo City, Mississippi, I worked in the grocery store. I was a teller in the grocery store. Now, I'm not trying to impress you with the title. That just meant I told people to move while I swept. I mean, I, I was not in management. During those depression years, the grocery stores bought one week what they would sell. They thought they'd sell next week. Money was extraordinarily tight. And sometimes they misfigured and they would run out of some of the canned goods and other things. Well, every store had what we called a runner. I was the runner for our store. When we run short of something, I'd run, get it, and borrow it from another store. The runner across the street was a young man named Charlie Scott. I remember on numerous occasions, Charlie Scott come running in the store, you know, and said, Mr. Anderson, he's the owner of the store. I need to borrow a dozen cans of tomatoes. Well, Charlie, you know where they are? Go get them. And old Charlie in the dead run would run back there. He'd grab up those tomatoes. He'd come up and he'd plop the cans down on the counter. He would quickly sign the little shit that Mr. Anderson had prepared for him. And out Charlie would go in a dead run. And one day I said, Mr. Anderson, how come Charlie Scott's always running? He said, I'll tell you why Charlie Scott's always running. He's working for a raise, and he's going to get it, too. I said, Mr. Anderson, how you know Charlie Scott going to get a raise? He said, I know Charlie Scott going to get a raise because if the man he's working for doesn't give it to him, I am. Many years later, I spoke at Mississippi State University. I told the Charlie Scott story. When he was over, a tall, red-headed guy, at one time had been red-headed, uh, he'd had a little color changed there. It was then gray. He said, uh, when last time you saw Charlie Scott? I said, man, I don't know. Charlie was two years older than I am. He went off into the service before I did and uh, haven't seen him since. He said, you probably wouldn't even recognize him if you saw him now. Well, Justin, no, I'm sure I wouldn't. He said, I didn't think so. I'm Charlie Scott. Now, a couple of messages I want to deliver here. Charlie Scott was able to retire at age 50 because what he had learned as a youngster he practiced all of his life. He committed his life at age 50 to serving mankind and serving his God. Now, what am I saying? I'm simply saying this. The Charlie Scots of the world are going to thrive in any economy.
That's what I'm saying. You see, he had the great thing that enables him, regardless of the economy, to always be employable. And employable is infinitely more important than being employed because the job can disappear. But if you're employable, you're going to show up again. Mark Sanborn, one of my fellow speakers, says it's far more important to be employable. Become employable is all I'm saying there. And Charlie Scott, you see, the Charlie Scotts of the world, I should say, is always going to be employable. Let me ask you this. Are you working to be employed or to be employable? Continuing your education, having the right mental attitude and serving others will help you be employable in any economy. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. Ziggler. Inspiring true performance.